So we're going to continue this morning with the series uh, on the different uh, categories of the service, if you will, for lack of a better term. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about praying. Now, they, I'll just tell you, they probably got the worst guy in the congregation to speak on this subject because it's not one that I'm strong at. They say, if you're going to know anything about yourself, it's you ought to know your weaknesses, and I know this is a weakness of mine. To pray in an assembly is just not a strength that I have, and I recognize that. It's not that I won't try to do it, it's not that I won't give it my best, but it's not always easy when you think about the responsibility that's involved in doing that. You know, getting from, out of the service what we intend to, or out of the assembly, that type of thing doesn't just happen. When we think about that and the mindset that we should have when we come here, it's not something that's just going to happen. We have to put something into it. We have to put effort toward it. And it takes effort on our part. And unfortunately, at times, that can be difficult, can it? We think about the different things we have going on, the different things that we face. And we come here and try to focus and try to glean what was intended from the services. And it's not, it's not always easy to do. In John 4 and 23, verses 23 and 24, it says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, we can't just walk through these doors and say, okay, I've done my part. And expect to get out of the service what God intended for us to. It just doesn't work that way. And when we look at other things in our lives, it makes sense. Nothing we do... Do we get something from nothing? It's going to cost us something if we intend to get what we want. You know, I understand. You may come and you may say, you just don't know what I've been through this week. You just don't know what I've faced. And you're right, I don't. I don't know what any of us have faced. But I do know we're in the right spot. If we've had a hard week and we've faced things that we didn't intend to face, this is the place we want to be. You know, we can share those things. We can share those feelings with one another. And, that, and that's the way it was intended through fellowship, that we can lean on one another. And granted, there are days we just don't feel like doing it. But you know, as you look back, and as I look back, and I think of different services that I've gone to where I, I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I went home uplifted. I went home better off than when I came. And we should understand that. And when we recognize that in our lives, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense that this is the one place we want to be when we're faced with those things. Even when we come here and we're not feeling it, so to say, if we engage the service as God intended, we'll, work, we'll walk away edified and uplifted. You know, there are times when, when we can walk away and we might not get anything from the service. I can tell you someone can come here at any given service, sit in a chair and look straight ahead and never get a thing out of the service. That can happen. You know why I know it can happen? Because I've done it. I've actually done that. I've sat through a service and I got zero out of it. It was a complete waste on the surface. But it wasn't a waste because I was here with people of a like mind. I've done that. I can remember a time before I was married, and I'd faced a week with tremendous things that I had to get done. Many things. 
I had different people wanting different things from me. And I was going in 10 different directions. And I sat through that service and all I could think about was the past week and where I was going and what I had to do. And you know, I got home that night and I sat in my chair and I thought about that. I couldn't tell you what the sermon was about. I couldn't tell you what songs we sing. I couldn't even tell you if there were certain people that I spoke to that night. How does that happen? How can we sit through something an hour long and never even understand what it is we're doing? In Mark 4, 4 and verse 19 it says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of the other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. You know, we look back at that parable of the sower. That's how that happens. We allow those things. We, when we come to a time where we're supposed to set aside for God, and we allow those things from the world to enter in. That's how we can do that. That's how that can happen. And when you look at your life and you think about why you come here to serve God, that's what God wants from me. It's intended to benefit you as well. And the things of this world will always be around. There's never going to come a time where there's not something in this world that can occupy our mind. Can you think of a time when that might be? We're always going to have work to do. We're always going to have responsibilities. We're always going to have people in our lives that may have sickness or whatever the case. There will always be these demands on us. And if we can't get in the mindset to set those things aside long enough to give the service the proper attention that it should, then we can never fulfill this and we'll never get out of it what was intended. You know, we're commanded to work and have gainful employment and provide for our families and all of those things. All of that's real. I don't want you to think I'm going to stand up here and tell you that's not real. Those things are very real. But those are the things we deal with day in and day out. And many times we're looking for an escape from that type of thing. This should be that escape. This time should be set aside to forget those things. But what priority do those things have in our lives? You know, some of my best work, I don't even get paid for. Imagine that. Some of my best work, I don't get paid for. You know why I don't get paid for it? Because it usually happens at 3 a.m. and I'm laying in bed staring at the ceiling. I solve a lot of problems right there. But you know, is that a good option? Do I want to go tell people, that's what you want to do. You wake up at 3 in the morning, stare at the ceiling until it comes to you. That's not what you want. That's not healthy. That's not a good option. It probably hurts performance in other areas. And it is giving my job the proper priority in my life to be working through those things at 3 in the morning. And it's the same with the services of the church. If I put those things aside and properly prioritize, prioritize my worship, then not only is this pleasing to God, but it gives me the edification that I need as a Christian to face the days and weeks ahead. And that's what's intended. To give us that increase. To renew our minds and renew our bodies. To face the things that we have to, to face. Because we are commanded to do those things. We are commanded to have gain and full employment. We're supposed to work and provide for our family and deal with all of these things. But we have to, we cannot forget the spiritual side of, what, of our responsibilities. So now that we've looked at a little bit about our mindset, we want to consider this morning prayer and our worship. 
for a short time. You know, to reiterate uh, what the others have conveyed, we want to emphasize God's authority and our submission to Him in all we do in the worship service. That's very important. We never want to forget that. Why do we do the things that we do? Because He has the, the authority to set those things in place. And some things He's given the leadership a little bit of leadway on how they want to operate that. But there are certain things that should exist in our worship. In John 7, verses 16 through 18, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Just as we see time and time again, we have Jesus saying, it is not about me. It's not about me. And we should have that same attitude as we approach these things. It is not about me. It is what God wants for me in my life. And now we look at these things and we have to answer, are these things from God or man is God accepting or unaccepting of our sacrifice and worship to him that's the real question are we doing it the way he wants us to do and we know from Cain and Abel and other passages that our worship can be rejected from God we know that and we have to be cognizant of that and realize that we have to be doing the right things for the right reason at the right time in the book of Matthew beginning in verse 9 we'll start here as we look at prayer I suppose a good starting point here is to begin with the Lord's Prayer. You can't talk about the Lord's Prayer without thinking about GB. This was important to him. And we remember him. And he probably gave us a renewed appreciation for this prayer because it was so important to him. And certainly we remember that as we read this passage. In Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, it says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We recognize this passage. We've heard it. We've heard it. Not only here in the church, we, we typically hear that even outside with unbelievers uh, for people in the world, they know that prayer. We've heard it over and over. But as we go through here, let's look at the different pieces of this prayer and talk about what, what, how they pertain to worship to God. In verse 9, it shows a respectful and reverent tone, as well as showing strong confidence in His love toward us in calling Him our Father. A respectful tone. You know, there, we see a lot of things out in the world and they're not necessarily respectful toward God or toward Jesus. When we approach Him, it should be in a respectful way. It says, hallowed, me, it says, hallowed, be, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed there means set apart or holy. We have respect for Him because He is set apart. He is holy. In verse 10, praying God's will and things on the earth as it is in heaven. If you think of a, a place in heaven where God's will rules all, everything is according to his will, that's not necessarily so here, is it? Everything's not according to his will. 
Only because he's given us free will to make choices. It's his will that all should come to Jesus. But unfortunately in this world, that doesn't always happen. We know certain things are set towards his will in this world, but not all choices made by individuals are. In verse 11, a petition for those things which are needful in full recognition that all things, including necessities, come directly from him. You know, the chapter talks a lot about repetitious prayers and the fact that there's no need to spend a lot of time asking for that, for things in this area. God provides for everything from the fowls of the air to the grass of the field, and he will provide for them for us as well. But it's talking about not spending a lot of time on those things. Don't have your focus on those things. He provides for all these other things. Why would he not provide for us? So we ask him knowing that all good things come from him. In verse 12, asking, asking here for mercy. Man has nothing to pay. Forgiveness must come from the free mercy of God in Christ. And that's where mercy always comes from. Through his son, Jesus. And going on to say that forgiveness has been granted by us to those who may have wronged us. You know, the idea that we may have granted that forgiveness to others merits us nothing. It doesn't make us deserving of anything, but it is a requirement for his pardon. In verse 13, it says, keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. You know, this verse seems to align nicely with Mark 14 and verse 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. You know, as we look here at the closing of the prayer, we see a petition for deliverance from that temptation. And that's something that we should pray for. If we fight certain things in our lives, if we struggle with sin in certain areas, we need to pray for those things. And you can see here that this example is not an exhaustive list, can't you? We've all prayed for things that aren't on this list. There are many things in our prayers that aren't listed there. And I think this prayer exemplifies simplicity. I think that was the point in this passage to exemplify simplicity. Because it talks further up in there how the Jews stood on the corners and, and they prayed all of these prayers and they sounded really good, but it didn't really profit anybody anything. So he talks about when you pray, pray like this. Be to the point. Understand what it is you're praying for. And it shows that in just this simple prayer. And as we look further at prayer, we can compare and contrast between prayer in the assembly versus prayer in private. And the basics are the same. You know, we recognize and we glorify God. Matthew 6 and verse 9 there in that same prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We may not necessarily use those words, but many times we are glorifying God in that preempt to our prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all these things. However we word that, we're recognizing him as the giver of those things. In Matthew 6 and 13, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray for the kingdom. We pray for the kingdom, don't we? We pray for one another. We pray for our congregation. We pray for all of those things as we should. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There again, praying for the kingdom and praying that his will be done in these things. We have petitions 
or supplication or begging for something earnestly or humbly. That's a piece of these prayers. And certainly that's going to happen as an, indiv an individual, and it's going to happen in our assemblies. Matthew 6 and 11, give us this day our daily bread, and 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's petitioning God, whether it's for things that are needful for us in this life, or whether it's something spiritual. We petition Him for those things. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, I may never get back to where I was. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, I exhort therefore that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In this passage, it extends beyond asking for ourselves or asking for all. It talks about asking for all men. And certainly we do that in the assembly. When we ask for prayers, is it necessarily just the people that gather in this room? No. We ask for prayers for different people, for different individuals, for family members, people in other cities, towns. Nationwide, we've, we've offered prayers for these people, and certainly that's appropriate for a prayer given in the assembly. We have times when we come to, to go to God in confessions, and that's an individual thing as well as an assembly thing. In Matthew 6 and 12, let me see if I can get there. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, to, for us to be forgiven a debt, we have to admit that we have one, don't we? We've got to admit to ourselves and to God that we've fallen short of his expectation. And we want his forgiveness for those sins. For those sins. In James 5 and 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, we pray one for another as individuals as well as a congregation, and I hope we do that. I hope our prayer doesn't end here in the assembly. I hope we take those things back, and we pray for them throughout the week for one another. Because if we can't do that, what can we do for one another? We fellowship together, and that's good. But we have to remember what each of us is going through in those times of need. You know, in certain instances, people have a need in their life, and they ask the congregation to pray with them. We do that. We're more than willing to do that. We'll do that for you this morning. You know, we've seen, we've seen here on several occasions, and there are a number of reasons someone might make that request, and we'll fulfill that request if they want us to pray for them and with them. That's something we would certainly do. In Ephesians 5, Verses 20, 20, uh, 20 and 21, we hear, see here, we're, we're to offer thanksgiving. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and for the Father in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, this, this verse could apply in the assembly as well as individually. We offer thanks every day, hopefully. You know, I, re I remember, uh, I don't remember who it was, but Sean was saying in one of his lessons that he had read about some individual in history that he couldn't take a drink without offering thanks to God. That, that's how important it was for him to, to make it clear to his maker how thankful he was for things. And if we could all be that thankful, you know, it would never be too much to be that thankful to God because he is the giver of those things. 
Prayer should be offered in the name of Jesus, regardless of where we're praying. That's one thing that we see from Scripture that is, is requested of us. In John 14 and 13, And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is Jesus speaking here, and he says, Ye shall ask in my name. Why? That the Father be glorified in the Son. You see, it always comes back to glorifying God. Whatever we do in our lives, glorify God. If you're doing a job, do it as if you're doing it for God. Because God is worthy of that glory. In 1 Timothy 2 and 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we see here, we have a mediator in Christ who petitions God on our behalf. He does that for us. He's the mediator between us and God. And this is very important. You know, we may have heard prayer offered in, in your name, in his name, in you, or many other ways. But we're petitioning God through Jesus so it should be done in Jesus' name. You know, there are differences in how we should pray in the assembly versus praying individually. And we understand that. It's a little bit different when we're doing it here in the assembly versus doing it as individuals. Because that person leading that prayer is praying on behalf of all of us. They're leading that prayer and they're petitioning God on our behalf. And as individuals, we don't necessarily have that. We talk directly to Jesus to get to God in those requests. In private, anyone can pray, but only men may lead prayer in the assembly. In private, any language can be used, but in the assembly, the language of the audience should we talked a lot about that language. When it talks about speaking in tongues, it talks about speaking in different nationalities. The prayer should be in the, the language of the audience. In private, you're in control of your prayer, but in the assembly, someone else is speaking while you participate. Our participation when not leading the prayer comes from listening and understanding. That's what we should be doing. We should listen, we should understand. And that's why we went through in the beginning about the mindset. If we don't have that proper mindset, then the prayer can be lost on us. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, it says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. You know, the same responsibilities we have in learning from the teaching and participating in the singing apply in prayer as well. And that makes sense. Because we're supposed to be engaged in those things. And those things are supposed to edify us. And how can we be edified if we're not engaged? We could be invest. We should be invested enough to say amen. Or to put our stamp of so be it on the prayer. And in order to do that, we have to be engaged. When the prayer is completed. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 16, it says, Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shalt... How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at, any, at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? We have to be invested enough to pay attention and understand in order to fulfill verse 16. And that's where it gets difficult because our mind has a tendency to wonder. And you know, you take somebody first coming into the church, they're not going to do this perfectly. We don't do it perfectly a lot of times. It takes work, it takes effort, and it, it takes an effort on our part to focus our minds in that way. 
In the assembly, we should be edified by the prayer. That gives responsibility to the leader and the participant. The leader has to know what's on, on the hearts of those in the congregation, but it also puts responsibility on the participant to understand the prayer that's being offered. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 17, For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. You know, here we're continuing in verse 17 to say, they don't understand, then they can't say amen. And, and, and that's important for us to be able to do that. And if they can't do that, then what have you really done? And again, a lot of this stems from within that chapter talking about how the Jews had over and over prayed these prayers and they stood before everybody and they, they wanted to have this glorious prayer to God. And it's saying it's meaningless. If they don't understand what you're saying, it's completely meaningless. You give thanks well, but no one has been edified or uplifted. You know, I spoke, spoke with an attorney one time. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking to this guy and I'm telling you, he sounded good. <laughs> he sounded good. He used words that I didn't know existed. And I had no idea what he was talking about. It was an absolute mastery of the English language. But it was lost on me. Because I didn't know what he was saying. You give thanks well, but no one has been edified or uplifted by your prayers. We can have that same thing thing happen right here. If we don't understand what's going on, how can we say amen to it? That's a responsibility of the leader to not push the entire congregation into a prayer that they don't understand. So we need to understand that as leaders when we pray. What do we remember about verse 26 of this chapter? In verse 1 Corinthians 14 and 26 it says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edify. How can we be edified if we can't understand what's happening? We simply can't. Now you want to know somebody that let you know if you'd edified them in a prayer. I'm just going to tell you. Britt Doty would let you know that. I miss Britt and Bonnie. I do. And when you think about Britt, in your prayer, if you hit something that was on Britt's heart, he lets you know it. When you have a guy hit you a couple of times after services and let you know how important that was for him, you start to realize responsibility you have and you know when there's some event going on where they're in the church or some secular event that's on the congregation's mind pray about it why would we avoid that why would we try to hide from God or not mention something that's obviously on the hearts of everyone pray about it he already knows what's on our heart what if you took a co-worker your boss and you were having problems at your, at your job. Customers weren't being seen. Products weren't being sold. Nothing was going on at this job. And, you, and your friend came to you and you said, let's go talk to the boss. And you walk into the boss and he said, what's going on? You say, everything's great. 
That would serve no purpose, right? That would serve no purpose. And it's the same with God. If we have those things that we're dealing with in this life, or we have things that we're dealing with as a congregation, why would we not pray for those things? You know, we see these types of things handled in different ways. And some people, they come to church, and they need help. And they come to us, and we pray for them. And that's great. That's what we should be here for. I've seen in congregations where they had some big issue that came up, someone fell ill, whatever the case is, and they came together specifically to pray just for that. It's important. And if there's something in the congregation going on, we need to take that to God. It's on everybody's heart already. Take it to God, even in the assembly. It doesn't make sense to leave God out of these things when he's given us an avenue to take care of them. One final point on prayer in the assembly. We know prayer is to be a part of the assembly based on 1 Corinthians 14. We've read through that. We know it. However, the guidelines on how many times we're to pray or when to pray during a service is basically left up to to leadership. They could add several prayers in our services. They could take away prayers. They can do that the way that they see fit. But we are commanded to pray around that mem- the memorial when we look at the example of it being done. Specifically around the Lord's table. In Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he left an example of how to do it. And before he gave it to his disciples, he blessed it. And that's one thing that we have to understand and we have to follow that pattern that he's given us. To offer prayer at that time. And while leadership may have some leadway on how they want prayers to around when we come around the table we should be offering prayer at that time well the specifics of, of when and how many times we're supposed to engage in prayer for the assemblies are not laid out the example is specifically given for the Lord's table and we should be honored to fulfill that commandment to pray for that it's an important time we want to pray and we want to let God know how thankful we are for Jesus and the gift that he gave us. One thing we should remember comes from the book of Acts. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as, excuse me, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. You know, at times we forget that there's more in the worship service for us than there is in God. Now think about that statement. There's more in it for us than there is for him. This passage tells us he doesn't need anything from us. He wants things from us, but he doesn't need them. And as we see from this verse, there's no need on his part to have us worship him. There's just not. He's our creator. We can't give him anything he doesn't already have. We're commanded to do it, but it isn't something he would have to have. You know, we can't allow ourselves in those times of weakness to consider ourselves as doing him some sort of favor because we're simply not. It's not a favor to him. 
It's something that was designed that he's asked us and he's commanded us to do. But it serves a purpose. And we are the ones that, that gain from that when we do it correctly. Do we have to remember that anything we might do in this lifetime falls short of repaying the things he continually does for us? We need to remember that. And think about this lesson and all the others on the assembly. I, I can't help think back to when I was younger. And think about the, this lesson and all the others. I remember on so many things we were told you get out of it what you put into it when we were younger. You get out of it what you put into it. And I really hated hearing that because it was usually used against me when I wanted to complain about something. So many times I heard that, and I remember really how unpleasant that was to me at the time. But here I stand before you today telling you, you get out of it what you put into it. And if we put into it what God wants us to put into it, what he would have us to put into it, then we're going to benefit from that. We're going to be blessed for it. We're going to be blessed for it on the day it happens. We're going to be blessed throughout the week. And those weeks where we say, you just don't know what I've been through. This right here will help you do that if we do it correctly. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.